Unfortunately for the Weinstein victims, they find themselves near the very back of the line when it comes to distribution from the bankruptcy estate. Hello and welcome to the Miami Law Explainer, a new podcast from the University of Miami School of Law. At The Explainer, we take a deep dive into the news of the day, unpacking Supreme Court cases and decisions, sussing out hot political and social issues, and discussing legal matters that are just too interesting to ignore. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today we're here with Drew Dawson, whose research focuses on the intersection of federal bankruptcy and labor laws that play a role in the restructuring of corporate debtors. Good morning, Drew. Good morning, Annette. So more than 10 months after the scores of allegations of sexual assault and harassment by Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein, the sale of the Weinstein Company film studio was approved by a Delaware bankruptcy judge. To set the stage, now that the Dallas-based Lantern Capital Partners has bought the assets for $300 million, what's included in the deal? It's actually a much more difficult question than that sounds, because that's one of the things that have been holding up this whole case, is that, you know, it was 10 months ago, right? We saw the Weinstein Company just sort of had to enter crisis mode, right, with the allegations against Harvey Weinstein in particular, and trying to figure out what were they going to do with the company but it's been about, what, March 19th or so when they filed bankruptcy. So this is actually very quick moving for a bankruptcy case. And part of the speed is the challenge of the speed is trying to figure out what does the Weinstein Company really own and what does it owe? So as the Lantern Capital bought the firm, the price shifted a lot. You know, original bids were up to $500 million. This closed at just under $300 million. And part of the concern was, you know, they know that there's a whole library of films that, and TV shows that the Weinstein Company owns, but what liabilities do they still face? Unpaid bills to Quentin Tarantino and producers of various TV shows, all those, to what extent are those still there, the extent of those liabilities? So where does the money from the sale go? Really, the money, most of the money from the sale is going to go first to pay off the lawyers who structured the sale, not surprisingly, and then next it's going to go pay off the Weinstein Company's secured creditors. So in a nutshell, it's going to go pay off the lawyers and the bank. What about the victims? There's not really much to be left for the victims. The victims are legally going to be treated as having an unsecured claim, much like a landlord who didn't get paid or an employee who hadn't been paid. The victims are going to be down there sort of fighting for anything that's left over after the sale. At this point, it's not clear if there will be anything at all there or how much that would be. Didn't earlier bids include victim settlement funds? What happened to that route? Yeah, the original bidder was coming in with a... $500 $500 million, uh, $500 million offer that was going to include a set-aside for the settle with the uh, sexual harassment victims. Then as they were moving forward with that deal, some of these additional liabilities that the Weinstein Company had, as they were going through the due diligence, and they came across these additional liabilities, that deal fell apart. At that point, Lantern Capital, which had been part of that original deal, they stepped up to do this alone, but had never set, uh, put aside any sort of victim fund. So at this point, there is no fund for victims. They are being treated just like unsecured creditors, and none of that money is likely to go to any of those victims. When the company filed for bankruptcy protection, it halted all lawsuits in their tracks. What happens now? 
Right. So, right, exactly as you said, when they filed bankruptcy, everything had to stop except, you know, the, the stay, the bankruptcy code, so-called automatic stay that halts the lawsuits, obviously doesn't stop criminal suits. So criminal actions against Harvey Weinstein would keep going. Um, there was a question to what extent some of the class actions that have been filed against not only Harvey Weinstein and the other members of the board of directors, but also against the Weinstein company itself, would those be stopped? Initially, they were, but the bankruptcy judge determined that they should, she should lift the stay. Judge Walrath lifted the stay so that the proceedings could continue going in New York court, in the New York state court on the class action. Um, so th those proceedings can still go on. Uh, the Weinstein Company, of course, is going to be left. It's after it's sold basically all of its assets to Lantern. What's left? There's some insurance policies, perhaps that the Weinstein Company has, but they they do remain a defendant in that case, and that will continue to go on. They might still be able to recover personally from from Harvey Weinstein, from the other members of the board of directors, or potentially from these insurance funds. What concerns do you have about the way this whole case unfolded? And do you think we will see other companies use this path to deal with corporate scandal liabilities? It's a, it's a very troubling case, in large part because of the nature of the claims against the company. And we're talking specifically the nature of the sexual assault and sexual harassment allegations against Harvey Weinstein and the Weinstein Company. And... The fact that we're moving forward so quickly through this sale proceeding, like I said, this was just filed in March and we had the deals lined up already within 30 days and it just took a little longer to close um, in part because they hadn't really done the full due diligence. So there wasn't the whole process that you'd normally see in a, a traditional bankruptcy case where you have the, the debtor move through the proceedings with negotiations with all the stakeholders and come up with a plan of reorganization. They just sort of did a fast forward kind of case where they immediately got all the assets out of the company without really ever spending the time to work through what was included in the company and without really giving any space for all those claimants, including the sexual harassment victims, to really participate in the negotiations. All they could participate on was was this a fair sale price? And when you're doing a quick sale, whether that's a, you know selling your house and you only have 30 days to sell it, you're not going to get the best sale price. Or even if you, you'll never, let me put it more accurately, you never really know if you're getting the best sale price if you have to sell your house in a 30-day window, right? The best way is to let the, you know, put this, expose it to the market for an extended period of time. And we don't see that here. Um, I guess the troubling part of that is that it was all the speed was always dictated from the beginning by the purchasers. And that's a little bit trouble. If we were to continue with the analogy of selling your house, it'd be one thing if you had to sell your house in 30 days because you needed to move. That's on right the seller. That's the seller's decision. Speed matters. Here we have a buyer who imposed the speed, which starts feeling like manipulation of the sale process. And we can't really be confident that we're getting the best sale price. And you also wonder, why was there a need for this sort of speed? Was there something you were trying to hide? And obviously, companies that are going through any sort of corporate scandal do have a lot to hide. 
And there's a question of whether bankruptcy is the place where we have to deal with these difficult questions. And there actually is a traditional bankruptcy process that we're supposed to be able to balance these sort of difficult policy questions. Should sexual harassment victims be treated the same as landlords? I don't know. And the bankruptcy code doesn't say, but the bankruptcy code does envision that there will be a negotiation about this and all this would be aired out. They short-circuited, in this case, they short-circuited that conversation by, by jumping immediately to a quick sale. We never had those difficult conversations. And in that way, it really does sort of set a precedent. Now, this wasn't the first case to go like this, right? There's a lot of bankruptcy cases that go through these quick sales. This was one of the first of the raise, like really sort of headline grabbing and issues of really deep policy questions and particularly dealing with um, particularly sympathetic creditors. So in closing, I guess I would think about moving forward. I think we should have real concerns about speed. And as we see bankruptcy cases continue to be processed at really quick speeds, we have to wonder, even if that's best for the purchaser, at what cost are those coming? Thank you, Drew. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And that's all for this episode of The Explainer. Let us know what and whom you'd like to hear from at Miami Law on future shows. I'm your host, Annette Uguez, and we'll be back with you soon with another episode featuring legal news you can sink your ears into.